Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash smartest for your free audiobook download. Baghdad by the bay, where the fog creeps in on little cat's feet, and little cable cars climb halfway to the stars. Here we are in the salubrious confines high above the financial district, where the blood of the workers has spilled ceaselessly for the ages, so that those who work for the gigantic monolithic corporations may live in everlasting splendor and glory, and have a sponsored box at the Soupier Buell. Here we are, high atop Alcove Plaza. Once again, at San Francisco's most festive comedy club, The Punchline, ladies and gentlemen. This is week 14 of Sketchfest. It's a hostage situation. Sketchfest used to be a small cottage-run business that lasted two days and no one went to it because it was in the mission and you could be shot by a crackhead. Now it takes 17 weeks and is America's most comprehensive comedy festival. There's people here who aren't even in comedy and have a sketch show. There's like surgeons and shit like that. It got crazy. Uh, as, as Iggy Pop said, here comes success. Uh, here comes my Chinese rug. Uh, so here we are at Sketchfest, and uh, this is day 74. And um, as I say, it's, it's a, it, we're recording here on a, uh, what I thought was a Sunday afternoon, but evidently is a Saturday afternoon. And, fuck you, calendar. Don't get away from me like that. Don't slip out from under me like a chameleon when I'm chasing you through the fucking forest floor looking for a mealworm and stuff. Stay put. Saturday. Fuck you, Saturday. It felt like Sunday. It was all foggy and shit. When you wake up on Saturday, there's supposed to be fireworks and someone's standing over you going, remember me? You liked me last night. It didn't seem like that. Sunday, there's jazz playing and someone's making blueberry flapjacks and you don't even live there. Someone's just doing it and you wake up and you're like, blueberry flapjacks, this is awesome. And they're like, hi, you really made some changes last night. Let's start. I hope people are day drinking. And if you're listening out there in Proofcast land, I hope you are day drinking. And if you're at the gym right now, this is an awesome time to, I don't know, knock off and uh, run over and get a big vitamin juice thing and then slip some vodka into it. Uh, If you're listening at home and you're making tea, a lot of people tell me they listen while they drive. I don't know when the last time you drank and drove was, but it's fucking fun because seriously, it it creates a challenge. And you can use those little... uh, uh, you know, one of those little plastic things in there that go, when you fucking go over the side, they, those are to guide you back on. They're guideposts to help you. Uh, if you're holding, fucking let it flow. Um, light that shit up, as Snoop Dogg once said, and Proop Lion is now uh, in- encouraging you to do. Uh, we're going to have a boring preachy part. We're going to talk about everything. We're going to take questions. It's a full agenda here tonight. We bought an albino alligator at the uh, Academy of Fine Arts and Sciences the other night. It's not an actual albino alligator, as you can see. It's simply a stuffed albino. It's not even a stuffed one because people are out there freaking. I know there's animal. I know Ricky Rocket from Poison is listening right now with some other animal rights people going, I can't believe you have a stuffed albino alligator. They fought for survival. Um... It's a stuffed one, like a toy one. There, there is no danger of any albino alligators. Greg Proops's podcast is albino alligator safe, as far as I know. No albino alligators were hurt or harmed in any way during the recording of my... Except for one that I keep in the trunk of my car and never feed. And gave him a fucked up name and I beat him. 
Uh, except for that albino alligator and that one. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't know why I've called him Atticus. I think because he reminded me of Gregory Peck because I, I was looking at him in the gift shop and he looked at me and he was like, hmm. <laughs> Hello, Scout. <laughs> so I've been letting the alligator make all the decisions in my life because I feel that a stuffed reptile is the best guidepost in a world where people claim that they know shit because they believe it. <laughs> Let's start with a quote. Um, really, Greg, will this be more coherent than what's happened up till now? Um, everybody cool your fucking jets and shit. It's free to download, so don't anyone panic. You can skip through as quickly as you like. This is from Jim Morrison. You may remember him. He was in a group called The Doors. Uh, and the, they were quite big in the 60s, and then uh, he passed away. And then when Apocalypse Now came out in 1978, I saw it at the North Point Theater here. Uh, yeah, remember the North Point? It was a great big theater. It held like 1,500 people. They showed like 75-millimeter giant sound system and everything. And they gave you a program to Apocalypse Now because the credits were so long, it didn't have credits on it. And so they gave you like a book, and it had a picture of the Montagnard Army in the middle of it, right? Is anybody... Apocalypse Now? Maybe I should talk about... Okay, all right. Anyway, it was kind of a freak out. We were high, but the movie made you feel like this was a bad idea being high. <laughs> They should have handed me a sidearm and a canteen and some sea rations and let me crawl under the seats and watch it from below because I'm going to feel a lot safer during this fucking movie. And uh, Jim Morrison's uh, the, the Doors, they played This is the End at the beginning of the movie. And uh, ironic, I don't know, you be the judge. Perhaps just a fucking coincidence or an aesthetic choice. In any case, um, they became wildly popular again uh, in the late 70s. And, and, and Jim Morrison got on the cover of Rolling Stone way after his death and it said he's young, he's sexy, and he's dead. <laughs> He knew his way around a drink. And uh, this is a quote from him. Being drunk is a good disguise. I drink so I can talk to assholes. This includes me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is awesome. So uh, there's an ordinance. The last time we were here at New Year's time, I was talking about an ordinance in San Francisco, which was enacted here to keep people from eating without any clothes on in restaurants. And what do I mean by that? I mean, people were showing up naked in restaurants, unfolding a little white paper towel, putting it under the spot where their man center was going to be, and plunking down and ordering up a fucking tuna sandwich and some garbanzo beans and shit, and panicking everyone here. And so I guess they, the city council, the supervisors sprang into action uh, and you're not supposed to be naked on the streets of San Francisco. Two days ago in the Chronicle, I think it was the Chronicle, it was misspelt and it was errant. Uh, someone left it near me. I think it was the Chronicle. Uh, it said uh, in the Chronicle, they've revised the law so that if you're under five, it doesn't apply to you. So for all the people who are under five who read the Chronicle each day, I'm sure they sighed a collective sigh of apple juice fucking laced relief that they put down their string cheese for a moment and went, whatever little kids say. And then I can run back naked to the streets and whatnot. And, and then they did because they could. Thank goodness we've exempted the under fives. I'd hate to see one of them arrested and thrown in a paddy wagon here in San Francisco, which I, I guess is the alternative. Uh, so anyway, they've enacted this ordinance to keep people from being naked. And I'm all for it because, as you recall, I, and not for the trampling of civil rights, I said do what you like, smell how you like. But the point is this. Um, the people who want to be naked, have you ever noticed, really? Come on. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> as I believe I've discussed on the show, it's never the cast of Magic Mike and Charlize Theron. <laughs> It's fucking dudes with giant man breasts and saggier areas. And there's, if you have something that looks like grapes or a cauliflower, 
or stalagmites, you should not, you should cover. In fact, you should wear a moo-moo here and a moo-moo there. Here a moo, there a moo. Everywhere wear a fucking moo-moo because I don't want to see it. You're eclipsing my good times with the gravity of your giant black hole, and I don't need it. What a sensitive little crowd we have here tonight. I can sense a huge dick-whipping on this fucking audience. Seriously. The last crowd I had in L.A., if anyone listened to the show from two shows ago, was the most unruly group of ungrateful fucking curs that it has ever been my displeasure to fucking... I felt like I was performing for the Romanovs right before they fucking killed Anastasia and Rasputin stuck his cock one last time into a guard. It was such a fucking bummer and feeling of the ending of one world and the, and the, and the nascent of hideousness of the new one dawning. Uh, I, I really felt like every illiterate in L.A. had gathered in one place to laugh at me for wearing glasses. It was like during Pol Pot's purges or whatever. It really felt like that. You, know, you wear glasses, you think you're smart. <laughs> so don't fucking pull any bullshit on me tonight. It's an afternoon, whatever fucking day it is and whatever time of day it is. Don't correct me. I have an alligator and a cat. I'm not a cat, I'm a pussy. Who's the pussy now? Look in a fucking mirror, bitch. I don't know who you're threatening. What kind of condiment do you like the most, kittens? Sriach! Um, don't judge. If I hear any more O's from that area, I'm getting kind of a Davis, California smell from over there. No, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm going Scalia on everybody tonight. Yeah, I'm Roy Bean tonight, the hanging judge. There will be no fucking bullshit tolerated. It's not a night, it's an afternoon. It's going to be the night by the time we finish. Nothing but charred bodies and the walking dead. This vodcast started with promise. Uh, Wowzer, so the naked dude... Uh, I'm driving down Haight Street, right? Yeah, I have a car. And uh, a 1928 Porter. It's my mother reincarnated. And thank you for the five people old enough to remember that reference. Thank you. The rest of you can go home and Google it. There was never a car called a Porter, Greg. Thank you, dehumorizing team. Uh, I'm driving down Haight Street, as one does, uh, catching the summer or winter. And what an unseasonably warm uh, janvier we're enjoying here in San Francisco. I've come here in January where it's, it's like the Brazilian rainforest. And there's just rivulets coming down the street and those horrible fish that arc into your urine and live inside you. And yeah, it can get bad here. Then the naked guys have to put a sponge down on the chair before they sit down. I'll have figs. Okay, don't order figs. Please don't order figs. That's how they talk. Naked guys talk that way when they order. I'll have big purple plums. A whole bowl of them. Nothing for my friends. Driving down Hate Street, right? Uh, like the song? If there isn't really one, but if there was a song... I think I combined war and the animals into a song that neither of them wrote. Warm San Francisco night. Uh, I'm driving down 8th Street and fucking a dude is walking across the street. And I mean, 
unbelievably unfurled 4th of July, all the colors, fucking, you know, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Yeah, it was happening. Fucking, I don't want to say there was low-hanging fruit, but there was a fucking two-toed sloth hanging off him. It was icky, mickiness. My wife just fucking closed her eyes. And... I was driving, so I just shaded. He was in the crosswalk, and of course it's San Francisco, so he was wearing hiking boots and what could only be described as kind of a, a Daniel Boone hat, like not a, not a coonskin cap, but like an 1830s fucking hat, like not a top hat, but one of those like Mississippi gambler type hats that I think he'd made. And he had a cane, of course, and, and he was carrying a European-style man bag, as well as the other hideous, horrible, unspeakable equipment bag that he had already placed on his body when he was born. I would like to do my impression now of the girl getting off the 33 Ashbury who had to walk by him in the crosswalk. She was wearing nurse's scrubs and tennis shoes and looked to be a nice young lady of about 28. It's so harsh in San Francisco. You have to learn to deal with men of a certain age's things hanging there. And what can you do? Call a cop and shit? Ordinance 53A, section, subsection 5. The man bag ordinance. But why give it an airing, you know? And if you're gonna, go up to Buena Vista Park. That's where everybody does it. Go meet your friends. Go out to where the windmill is, out at the beach. Don't, that's where guys go. Or what's, what is it? Land's End. Go to Land's End and do that shit. On Hate Street? Dude, I was going to get a burrito. Now I'm not hungry. Huevos Rancheros, anyone? No, no. No food ever the rest of my life. And thanks for making everyone in the car never, ever, ever, ever want to have sex again with anyone they know. Because of what you did out there. So then, 16th and Mission, we're driving down, and uh, just doing drive-bys. And uh, as you know, 16th and Mission, one of the most entrancing corners of San Francisco. It, we, and we are entranced because we dance, dance, dance. Uh, human Zoo doesn't begin to describe what happens at 16th and Mission. It, it's like Bellevue Hospital in New York let out in 1958 and met a bus from Chico that came down... <laughs> While a truck from Yuba City exploded. I don't know how to describe 16th and Mission. It is a freak show, baby, baby, on the dance floor. It is fucking wild. So, we're, we're, you know, you're waiting to cross. We get caught at the light. And a dude walks by with a parrot. And he was giving everyone the fucking eye. And that's what I couldn't get over, man. I was like, no, you've got the parrot. to the bus with his parrot. And let me tell you something, the parrot was over it. I'm not, as you know, nature's a terrifying place where birds live and other vermin. But for me, I could see in that parrot's simple avian brain, ennui, 
existential angst. That parent was like, if, there's, if this is the best of all possible bird worlds, why am I attached to the 60-year-old guy giving everyone the side eye? How come I don't live in the Amazon with a flock of pink cockatiels that I can savage any time I like? Why am I not a Kia in New Zealand eating fucking seeds and then dropping down on sheep and, you know, whatever? Why am I attached to the fucking paranoid parrot dude? If that guy has a cage in his apartment in the mission, I'll be a monkey's fucking uncle. You know that parrot flies free and shit. So quiet, so judgmental. Mm-hmm. Maybe if the show was more like a comedy show and less like a bunch of half-baked reminiscences of your stone driving trip of the last three days. Maybe then the audience would react to it more, Greg. Have you ever considered that? Hey, Greg, I got an idea. Writing. This improv shit's all well and good, but why not prepare for something funny? You're a cardboard cat. I invented you, and I can fucking bitch down you anytime I... Bitch down? Was, was that some sort of new slang that you invented, Greg? Take five. Take five, kittens. It's gonna be all right. That remains to be seen, Greg. You've given no indication in the first few moments that anything is gonna be all right in this show. You've said man bag a lot. Why don't you just rest on that for a while, Greg? This is like Opie and Anthony. This is tremendous. Oh, the wit. Uh, I have an agenda tonight. I do, somewhere here. Yeah. Uh, let's get all this out of the way. I'm, uh, I, I have a, a, one last sponsor. Everybody's gone. There's no more Mangrate. There's no more... I did Gamefly for like one episode until Gamefly went. We received zero hits. <laughs> Evidently, all y'all aren't gamers. And by that, I mean people who play... Uh, what do you call them? You know, uh, you know... <laughs> rape, rape, rape. Kill, kill, kill. <laughs> My dick is small and I only have male friends. Rape, 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 rape. Kill, shooting, shooting, shooting. Hey, dude, bro Haim, what's up, bro Haim? Bro Haim, let's eat more snacks. Mom, we'll, we'll turn it down in a minute. You're 35, why don't you get a job? I'm having fun. Rape, 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 rape. Maybe that's why Gamefly didn't work for me. Not that there's anything wrong with playing games. I'm not judgmental. <laughs> Audible.com uh, is the internet's leading provoger of spoken audio entertainment, information and educational programming. Um, get a free audio download when you sign up for a free trial today. That doesn't sound very appealing. I wish to be tried by an internet jury of audio downloaders. Please approach the bench. Have you anything to say? Yes, call me Ishmael. Really? Someone over here just went, oh God. You know, there's so many fucking, where's the program? Has anyone got a Sketchfest program? I am gonna direct you to another show.
evidently my Melville references are a little Hackasaurus Rex for this table over here. Let's see what other shows you might like more. Wait, here's one. Drew Carey presents the best of the midnight show. That was a week ago at the Eureka. Why don't you go to that now? Maybe Drew will come back and do one of his scintillating Melville jokes. I only picked Drew because I know him. Wait a minute, I've never read Drew's bio. I, one time I was introducing him, and I go, from Parma, Ohio, Drew Carey. And he get, we did a talk show for, for years together, and he uh, live one. And he goes, you fucking asshole. He, that's, that was what he said when he came up on stage. I'm from Cleveland. He goes, you're one of my best friends. Why don't you fucking Google me? And my weak rejoinder was, I thought you were from Parma. Drew and I go back a long way, but he's never introduced me as being from Belmont, California. I can smell Belmont in the house. Fresh off the national tour, Drew Carey presents the best of the midnight show. Comes to Sketchfest with fast-paced, fearless sketch comedy. You know which kind of sketch comedy I hate? Fearful. Trepidatious. I don't want to start this next sketch. It's Betty White meets Lady Gaga and Lindsay Lohan's uterus. <laughs> we are fearless sketch comedy. <laughs> Citizens of Sketchville, lay down your precepts. We're going to do something non-funny and violent. <laughs> With writers from Saturday Night Live, Adult Swim, American Dad, Cartoon Network, and more, comma, the Midnight Show is already the best of sketch, and this is the best of the Midnight Show. So we've called it, we've winnowed it down to three minutes. I don't know what it was. I know a lot of the people in them, and it was very funny. Uh, and Drew's in Vegas this week, but it'll be the next last week by the time this week goes out. As you know, time is in many, many uh, layered Mobius infinite strip that doesn't explain itself in any way. I'm still looking for a show for you guys. Here's one. It's called Before You Were Funny. Since I presume by your judgmental tone of my Melville joke that some sort of amateur comedy career is a borning over here. No, that one already happened too. Oh, Mary Lynn Rice Cube was in that. She's, oh, and James Adomium. Oh my God, James Adomium was funny. Uh, Scott Capruo's position. Oh, it'll be over by the time this goes out, Scott. Scott's here, I think. I think I saw him saunter in at the last moment. You here? Yes. Oh, whoa, whoa. Scott Capruo is a, a lady comedian who I've known for years and years and years. Scott and I started together. Uh, I don't know if you remember VA, uh, VJ Day, uh, but uh, after, at the end of World War II... When we settled Hirohito's hash, Scott and I started a, a tour. A lot of people thought he was Japanese because of his name. We had a lot of trouble getting booked. Scott Capurro asks you about career... Asks you? Don't you have any fucking guests? Scott Capurro's position. I've done this show several times, uh, and I have assumed the Scott Capurro position, which is... Un it's different than the, than the scowling parrot paranoid fucking dude in the mission and much different than the top-hatted 1830s riverboat gambler manbag dude of the, of the hate. 
The Scott Caparo position is a more delightful, recumbent, fucking snotty, waspy kind of position. It's, it's fun, informal, and not broadcast on TV, so be as real as you like. Are you interviewing the audience? Is that what I'm to understand? Oh, clearly not. I've been on your show like three times and we've never been fun and informal. My f we, for me, we've been formal and stentorian. Like a Wagnerian play. The first act was like there was Sturm und Drang and then by the third act you were like, oh my God, we're going to die at the hands of Vikings. And then there's a picture of a comic named Erin McGathy, but she looks like dead like Jodie Foster at her Golden Globes nomination speech. <laughs> You guys. When did this turn into Tommy T's and San Leandro? Did someone really rip a coupon out of this? Go see Scott's show. It's very funny. It's in three days' time, which will be a week from now when you hear this, so don't go. But if you live in England, he's going to put it on again in England, I'm sure. Are you going to do Edinburgh this year, Scott? I, I am. I am. He, he says, he am. And I am too. So we'll see you in Edinburgh, both of us, uh, at the festival there, Scott and I, and shit like that. Also, I haven't, I haven't finished the Audible ad yet. The Audible ad goes on and on. Um, <laughs> we go to, go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash smartest to get your free audio book today. Um, Audible has over 75 million titles to choose from. Yeah, I, I exaggerated. Someone in the front went, 75 million? Is that possible? Audible has Googleplex number. Uh, so go there and help me and help everyone in the world. I have in my hand here a box from a story merchandise. Uh, this is a, uh, a, a large... The tag says... Uh, large female. Whoa. I know, exactly. Sybil Danning has been shipped to me. Thank you again for the three people that remember Sybil Danning. She was in Conan the Barbarian and all that jazz, and she was a Valkyrie. Uh, uh, I didn't want to say, you know, uh, in any case, it's, it, what this is is uh, uh, inside here, and they're lovingly wrapped, as you can see, in beautiful brown paper that has a logo on it and everything. This is uh, the Greg Krupp's Power Sheath, and we're selling them on... We're selling, them, uh, we're selling them on the website now if you go to gregcreeps.com. Yes, it's a t-shirt. Someone complained last week and went, but there's sleeves. I want a tank top. I can't accommodate everyone all at once. Soon there'll be a Kittens McTavish t-shirt. To describe it to the people out there in podcast land, it's black and it's uh, unbelievably chic. It, what it feels like is um, the finest spun fabrics um, chewed on endlessly by uh, Native American women who have labored under the sun to the expense of their own eyes and their teeth because they've been gnawing on flax to make it as delicate as it possibly can be. It doesn't chafe your nipples in any way when you wear it. You could run a marathon with no Vaseline on in this t-shirt. What this t-shirt does is wrap around you like another epidermis. All of a sudden, you're a worm. You're, you're, you're an arthropod. You're you're something that has another shell. This is the protective carapace that Hillary Clinton has around her enormous, decisive, pink, fucking artillery-laden clitoris. This is the kind of covering that everyone in the world needs to have around them that makes you immediately sexually attractive to everyone that you want to be sexually attractive to. It repels all roofie hoarding invaders that would, that would crush your world and get in on you and take a bite out of your eclair without you offering it. You know what I'm saying? 
on the back, the word Paige, because Satchel Paige, as you know, said, if you don't pray uh, uh, for rain, don't pray when the... He said, if don't look back, something might be gaining on you. And so these are available. Uh, they go through uh, Greg Barrett's uh, company uh, Esto- and, and Dave Anthony um, Estoy Merchandise. Do we have a, a large female here that I can... <laughs> But wait a minute, Greg. Wasn't that the table you were saying was from Davis and ripping a new asshole just a minute ago? Yeah, seriously. Columbus gave gifts to all the islanders. <laughs> Not just the Caribs, who were cannibals. Friend. Oh, look how handsome that is. Step up here, my darling. Wow, that looks terrific. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to uh, email us uh, personally, fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. If you want to ask us a question on the show, uh, smartestoutaspecialthing.com. We're going to be at, where are we going to be? Zany's in Nashville on the 13th, uh, where my friend Chip Esten is taping the ABC television program Nashville every week. He plays Deke on the show, and he's super slutty on the show, which I love. <laughs> Uh, in Omaha on the 2nd of uh, uh, March we'll be in Atlanta IA and Georgia IA on the 10th of March we've switched our dates in Europe if you're uh, listening in Europe or you're going to be in Europe we will be at La Java in Paris on the 21st of March now we've moved the date to the 21st and we will be in London at the Soho Theatre on the 25th Uh, so if you're going to be in Paris uh, on the 21st we invite you to come if you're going to be on the dinky dirty island that's near Europe I'm joking. And we'll be at the Seho, which is a glorious space. And we're back in the bar, I think. We were in the theater last time. I think we're back in the bar, which is nice for me because it keeps me from falling over. I can, I can simply reach. Uh, then we'll be at the parlor in Bellevue on the 7th of April. We're not going to answer any of those email questions tonight. Let's have a poem. And then let, I think we should start the show. Uh, as you know, San Francisco is my uh, hometown, even though I lived in San Carlos. Uh, I, I think you're allowed, no matter where you're from, to adopt San Francisco as your hometown. So many awesome people have. Very few people are born here, and those that are are darn lucky, and some of them are born in the sunset, so they have a lot to deal with. They have to wear Ben Davis jackets and wear backward baseball caps and, and beat people up at the 7-Eleven on 45th. And, uh, this is by uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who I've had the pleasure of meeting. Uh, my, my wife, Jennifer, uh, gave me this poem, and she, uh, she worked at City Lights Books uh, over in North Beach, which is one of the finest bookstores in the entire uh, world. <laughs> Lawrence started it with his partner uh, some time ago, and uh, he's, he's an, uh, 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 an American treasure of a poet who's still alive and still goes into City Lights a couple days a week. You can see him if you pop in. Uh, he wrote, of course, Coney Island and Mine and so many other poems, Baseball Canto, which I'm going to read when the baseball season starts again. We'll, we'll hold off on that one for the moment. Um, a couple of years ago, I had the pleasure and uh, uh, privilege, I guess, of uh, doing a documentary on the 50th anniversary of On the Road. Now, I brought no insight whatsoever <laughs> to Jack Kerouac's timeless classic of burgeoning male youth and uh, dissolute fucking rambling in a drug-laden fucking sense during the 50s in a jazz-fueled amphetamine fucking... And the amphetamines they took were often... In, if you've ever read On the Road, um, Dean and... Uh, 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 um, uh, uh, 
Sal, Sal, Val, uh, Sal and Dean get in a car and Dean is the, Dean's your worst best friend and Sal is the poet and uh, they get in a car and they drive all around the fucking country. They meet William Burroughs, they meet a zillion people all over the place. Everybody has fake names. In any case, uh, I, Andrew, I interviewed a few of them and um, uh, they would do amphetamines but they didn't do uh, what we would call meth now. There was any histamines and you could buy them over the counter at the drugstore and they had mad speed in them and so like there was a giant ephedrine boost and I asked him and uh, uh, Al... Oh, I forget what his name is in the book. It's not Al Bundy. It's Al Grundy or something. In the, what's his name? It's not Al Bundy. I'm being a moron. I should have researched this before I got up, but I'm not going to. In any case, I said, what were you doing driving around in the car like that? And he go, we, we didn't care if we had anything but a radio. No, we'd get by a car with no heater in it. We'd all chip in as long as we could play jazz on the radio and smoke cigarettes and, and snort this fucking antihistamine. And I go, why did you do it? And he went, for the kicks. <laughs> So I got to interview Froelinghetti, and he was uh, enormously helpful. And uh, uh, this is a poem by him about San Francisco, because that's what I was looking for here. I found many poems about San Francisco, obviously. Bret Hart, uh, the great writer uh, who was here uh, during the gold rush and is a real laureate of California, um, his poems were all in iambic pentameter and rhymed at the end of every line. And I, I yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Not that I don't think that a bit of form hurts. I didn't even, while I pondered weak and weary, once upon a midnight dreary. I mean, I, it works, it works, it works. <laughs> Uh, but this one I thought was really beautiful. It's by Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who I believe is from New York City, uh, but, but is an uh, eternal San Franciscan. The Changing Light. The Changing Light at San Francisco is none of your East Coast light, none of your pearly light of Paris. The light of San Francisco is a sea light, an island light, and the light of fog blanketing the hills, drifting in at night through the Golden Gate to lie on the city at dawn. And then the halcyon late mornings after the fog burns off and the sun paints white houses with the sea light of Greece. With sharp, clean shadows making the town look like it had just been painted. But the wind comes up at four o'clock, sweeping the hills, and then the veil of light of early evening, and then another scrim when the new night fog floats in. And in that veil of light, the city drifts anchorless, upon the ocean. Fantastic. I woke up this morning and it was, we're in, we're in Japantown on this trip, but I never stay in Japantown. And it was completely foggy all around and I thought that poem was most lovely. Here comes the passings. Uh, in the sky this week, you may have noticed an extra funky nebulae that was swirling around in a pink and purple motion with fucking striped toe socks on and a beaded embroidered jean hat. What that was, was the epic legend of Sugarfoot Bonner from the Ohio Players who passed this week at 70 years old. Sugarfoot Bonner, you will recognize quite soon when I play this fucking song for you. Robert, will you play it? Robert, are you outside smoking pot? Oh, there you are. You may remember this jam. The Ohio Players strode the earth like mighty dinosaurs in the 70s from Dayton, Ohio. Bootsy's rubber band, Lakeside Slave, Heatwave Sun, the Daz Band, Fazo, and Zap all come from fucking Dayton, Ohio.
could do the bump to this. Unbelievable. Sugarfoot was but a child when he joined the band. By the time they had that hit in like 74, 75, whenever, when they started having hits, they'd been a band for 15 years on the road. And they didn't write their songs like, they didn't have a gray eminence who sat in a room and went, hey, I've got an idea, roller coaster of love. <laughs> they were a jam band and they would jam all their songs. And I think they might be the last of the great jam bands. And I believe they all took equal credit on every song. In any case, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Sugarfoot didn't make it to 70. But this is the part that I love. This is from the Dayton News. Uh, I would compare him to a commercial Jimi Hendrix, but Sugar was more refined, said John Turk Logan Jr., president and CEO of Logan Communications. <laughs> He could play orchestrated chords on two necks. Do yourself a favor and go on YouTube and look up the Ohio players. They're on the Midnight Special a bunch. And Sugarfoot's got a two-neck guitar and unbelievable picket fence fucking grill. And he goes, say what? And then later, hi! One of the most incredible noises ever made on a record. Y'all real bad missing and them skin tight bridge house. Riding folks in a dent town. Yeah, it is good. It is good. Skin tight, skin tight. Oh, yeah. Close friend Donald Duck Blanton of City Boy Entertainment called Bonner a big brother, mentor, motivator, leader, and someone to look up to. Uh, Ronald Bonner and two of Leroy Bonner's daughters said they found out about Leroy Bonner's death on the internet and as of Monday afternoon <laughs> it, it is all fitting and good his daughters are named Trellis Jones and Fabrian Bonner fuck yeah he has a sense of humor he loved to spend time with his family Cincinnati family members. He came from Cincinnati. The Ohio players rocketed onto the international stage in the 70s with a string of funk hits, including Fire, Skin Tight, and Love Roller Coaster. Uh, and so we bid adieu uh, to Sugarfoot Bonner, who is unbelievably funky and mad awesome. Uh, more than almost anyone else, I think. He gave my wife, uh, really turned me on to the Ohio players big time. And of course, I loved them before. Um, if, in, the, in the early 70s, I think we, those of us who were alive then, lived through a fortunate time as, in as much as um, Funkadelic had hits on the radio and uh, yeah and, uh, and the Ohio Players and George Duke and Earth, Wind and & Fire and all the other funk bands I named it was a, a and in this town, Tower of Power who I saw in this room several times on a dazzling variety of drugs and, and I mean them and me uh, Jackie Robinson's birthday was this week uh, I've been reading a book about Jackie Robinson um, by Jonathan Ogg. For those of you who don't know, and there's people who listen all over the world, so I have to explain sometimes, Jackie Robinson was the first black player that America graciously allowed to uh, play with the white players in baseball. And as you know, baseball was a sacred thing that white people kept close to their hearts, and we would be sullied. Uh, in any case, Jackie played, and he showed enormous courage. He, of course, went to UCLA and was a national football star because he played 
in a tremendous backfield with Woody Strode and Kenny Washington, both of whom went to a nascent NFL, well, both of whom went to the NFL quite quickly after college. Jackie was famous. He wasn't the most famous player in the Negro Leagues, but yes, he did do a short stint on the Kansas City Monarchs with a player named Satchel Paige. Now, when Jackie played with the, uh, in the Negro Leagues for the brief time that he played, um, they were forced to eat out and back. They couldn't go into every restaurant. They couldn't use the gas stations. The whole enchilada, right? Because, as you know, this country had Jim Crow as a law for over 100 years. And um, even despite uh, having a, a black president two times in a row, we, we face this every day. And that's why I think Jackie looms even larger every moment that things go on when you realize he precedes Martin Luther King, when you realize he precedes Rosa Parks, when he, he did it in 1947. Uh, right after World War II. So when he was with the Negro League team, they'd pull into a place and uh, they'd fill up their bus with gas, which was a lot of gas. And the guy goes, you can't use the bathroom. And Jackie goes, take the pump out. We're going to another gas station. The guy's like, all right, all right, you can use the bathroom. And evidently they'd never said that until he was with them because he was from Southern California and he wasn't at all used to that fucking treatment uh, that people had to endure in those days. In any case, mm. Jackie, when he was in the army, was an officer. He was a lieutenant. He was riding a bus uh, at his gig uh, on campus in Kansas City where he was stationed. And uh, the white bus driver said, get up and go to the back of the bus. And he went, no, I'm not going to the back of the bus. I'm, a, I'm an officer. And the guy went, I don't care. And the guy wasn't an officer. He was driving the bus. He was an enlisted man. Jackie wouldn't go. He was court-martialed. He brought in a bunch of material witnesses, and he won his case. He was not... Yeah. This is in 1944, ladies and gentlemen. Well before Rosa Parks. Uh, in any case, uh, they've retired his number at every baseball park, and baseball loves to endlessly congratulate itself. And by retiring his number... Oh, yeah. If there's one thing rich white privilege guys do, it's, it's they want to call attention to the one bone they threw to the public. So, as my late great friend Warren Thomas used to say, so they don't burn our shit to the ground. <laughs> You're going to hear about Jackie and have his number retired in every ballpark because white owners are like, look, we were so enlightened. Know this. When Branch Rickey, who was general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers after the war, said he was going to put a black player on his team, they had a meeting of the National League and every single owner voted against it. Just know that. And if they were going to do it today, they'd all vote against it today. Understand that about how these people's minds work that run football, baseball, hockey, and all these sports. They're greedy, avaricious, corporate, asshole white guys who keep a luxury box so they can show off to their friends. They don't care about you and your love for the sport at fucking all or anything that's like right. Otherwise, there wouldn't be all the concussions in football, all the steroid bullshit in baseball. All the fucking shenanigans that go on could be policed if the sport was run by people who actually cared about the people who played and the people who watched the sport as opposed to fucking sucking money out of you like a fucking remora on top of a shark that's dying on its way to the shore. Rosa Parks, uh, 100th anniversary is this week, too. Amy Goodman wrote this piece. Uh, Amy Goodman, who does Democracy Now! Rosa Parks actively fought for civil rights throughout her life. She made one bus ride in Montgomery, Alabama, made her famous in 1955. She refused to give up her seat to a white passenger. Uh, this was Monday, uh, February 4th, so it just happened. In our world, it will happen. In the world of people listening, this is past. <laughs> It's the 100th anniversary of her birth, and she's a great American. If you don't know what she did, uh, she died in 2005. She was 92 years old. She was a troublemaker her whole life, and in as much as she was an activist. She was born in Tuskegee, Alabama, 
and raised to believe she had the right to be respected is not Tuskegee uh, Institute where Booker T. Washington started. Uh, Jim Crow laws were entrenched then and segregation was violently enforced. To me, we had a way of life. We had no choice, this is her, to accept what was the custom. The bus was among the first ways that I realized there was a black world and a white world. Uh, she married an activist named Raymond Parks. They, he was a local member of the NAACP in Montgomery. She worked with Ed Nixon, a radical labor organizer. Um, she went to the Highlander Folk School in 55. She went back to Montgomery, and the driver uh, said that if I refused to leave the seat, he would have to call the police. And I told him, just call the police. The time had just come when I'd been pushed as far as I could stand to be pushed. Her arrest that day sparked the Montgomery bus boycott, which would last more than a year. It was led by a young minister who had just moved into town, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., we're not chatting over there, are we? Because if we are, there's going to be a summary fucking smackdown and shit. <laughs> there's lots of other shows at the Sketchfest, some of which are all dick jokes and shit. <laughs> I don't mean to be feisty fucking McTavish. Yeah, you do, Greg. You got a little bit of a chip on your shoulder today. It's not a chip, kittens. There were incidents, certain incidents that happened. People are people and want to be free. You and I should get along so awfully. People and I... Don't sing new wave songs to me to try to fucking assuage my feelings in this matter. You know that people shouldn't talk during the show. People should do whatever they want. Do what you like. Stop being a wild pussy and fucking cool it for a second. Know this about Rosa Parks. When she met Nelson Mandela after he was released from prison, he told her, you sustained me while I was in prison all those years. She was the first black woman to lie in state at the Capitol Rotunda when she passed in 2005. Our country's so great, we should really congratulate ourselves. We're, we're exceptional. We let everyone be free and equal from the moment we started. Except for women and black people and everyone else. By 2005, wouldn't you have thought there would have been enough black women of import that might lie in state at the capital of our country? Yeah. Someone over here went, no. <laughs> and I heard a distinctly white male voice with a small dick say it. <laughs> Roller coaster of love. Say what? Uh, Yeah. When Rosa Parks died, I raced down to Washington to cover her memorial. This is Amy Goodman. I met a young college student and asked her why she was standing there outside with so many hundreds of people listening to the service. She said proudly, I emailed my professors and said I won't be in class today. I'm going to get an education. <laughs> Fucking A, right? There were lots of other women who preceded Rosa Parks, uh, of course, in the movement and all that jazz. Let's get to some other stuff and then a couple of questions and then we'll fuck straight off. Uh... There was a lot, there's still the gun thing is traveling on and on and on and on this week. Uh, one quick thing before we get to the guns. Uh, this was in the San Francisco Chronicle. It'll be a week ago now. Um, I have no idea at the recording of the show whether the Super Bowl has gone my way or the way of Satan and evil. <laughs> this is uh, the San Francisco Chronicle. Today's San Francisco Chronicle, Saturday, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. Um, it's a bunch of letters about uh, the, uh, the Super Bowl and the celebrations and everything going on. They ran a picture of two guys who were, um, uh, they said they were dressed as cowboys, but they're from E. Clampus Vitus, if you know that nutty group of Niners fans. Uh, in any case, there's a, there's a letter down here, and this is what I love about the Bay Area. 
Because no matter how much fun everyone's having, someone's bound to drench you in cold fucking chia, 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 chia fucking seed juice. Someone's going to stick a fucking goji berry of bummer up your ass and make you buy locally, okay? Some fucking vegan dickwad is going to harsh your mellow. It's almost inevitable. It's not quite Berkeley, but we're getting there. Uh, don't neglect sober option, reads the caption to this letter to the editor. This is on the eve of the Super Bowl. I read the prose party playbook in Wednesday's date book. I guess there was a prose party playbook about where to get drunk and watch the game. One thing everyone left out is lots of wonderful non-alcoholic refreshments. Many people enjoy watching the Super Bowl sober. I'm not going to read her name. Go Niners without an exclamation point. You know, whatever your name is, lady, many people might, but I have yet to meet them. You know why? Oh, I'm cool. Are you saying that being inebriated is cooler than not being inebriated? There are many, so, there are many wonderful non-alcoholic refreshments. Yeah. It's this kind of destructive bullshit that's ripping this country apart. What, water? I don't know. What are you talking about? Seriously. The juice is all right. If you put some gin in it, it's fucking... Did Snoop Dogg teach us nothing? Rolling down the street, smoking men, no. Sipping on gin and juice. Laid back. <laughs> I had a Hillary article, but I can't fucking find it. I can't find shit. All right, fuck it. Hillary retired. For the moment, uh, she uh, she was uh, they, they they swore uh, John Kerry in Elena Kagan, the, uh, one of our uh, chief, one of our justices. I can't find the fucking article. Oh well, never mind. In any case, Hillary had some things to say to the people who were <coughs> torquemadaing her about Benghazi in the last week, and she said, "Well, I guess the problem is I live in a fact-based world." <laughs> Oh, here's the article. Uh, Clinton's emotional farewell. Her expression here is hilarious. She looks like Pikachu. <laughs> and she's got her new orthopedic sorting out the fucking concussion glasses on. Do you know how badass she is? You might not know how badass she is. She took such a fucking heavy concussion. More, uh, seriously, like, she's not suiting up like Alex Smith did. <laughs> She took such a hardcore concussion that she was seeing double and had to get those weird fucking shades that she's wearing now to wear in front of Congress because she was fucking walking around the house going, Bill, 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 Bill. There's only one of me. There only ever will be. But there's two of these. Laid back. I've got my mind on my money on my money. Workers say goodbye to the departing Hillary Rodham Clinton. Workers. 
I don't remember any workers going up to Dick Cheney at any point. <laughs> Indentured servants bid their last farewells. <laughs> Jimmy Crack Cone and I don't care. Jimmy Crack Cone and I don't care. Goodbye, Mr. Cheney. Clinton also left office with a slap of critics at the Obama administration's handling of the September attack on a U.S. diplomatic mission in Libya, which killed U.S. Ambassador Christopher Stevens. She said in an interview Thursday, the critics of the administration's handling of the attack don't live in an evidence-based world, and their refusal to, quote, accept the facts is unfortunate and regrettable for the political system. They've made such a shitstorm out of this. And you may recall in the hysteria of watching every single hysterical uh, Republican white guy get up there and take a go at her, uh, that they went, lies, lies. <laughs> Penis so small. <laughs> she took out her fucking clit and laid it on the fucking table and went, you heard her bitch slap them down. Were the WMDs not lies that led us into Iraq? Was all the evidence of the entire Bush administration not fucking lies? Was Katrina not a lie? Was everything that happened that ruined the economy of this country a fucking lie? You're worried about the attack on Libya? How about when we assassinated or had fucking horrible mercenaries assassinate uh, Muammar Gaddafi earlier in the year? That was a fucking lie. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Blah, 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 blah. And she said she's going to write a book. Uh, she said she absolutely plans to make a difference on issues, whether she cares about in speeches, in a sequel to her memoir, Living History, that will focus largely on her years as Secretary of State. We will miss her because all of the ugly uh, white guys that Obama's put in his administration to change the flavor on the second term here, none of them have a dick as big as hers. <laughs> This is from today, or two days ago, paper. Pakistani teen Malala Yousafzai, the Pakistani teen who was shot by the Taliban after campaigning for the rights of women and girls for an education. We've spoken of her before on the show, in so much as uh, Time magazine had Obama as Person of the Year, and I suggested that young Malala was Person of the Year because she actually put her life on the cocking line so that she could read and was shot down by fucking fundamentalist religious weirdos in her own fucking country. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Uh... Uh, she's had her second surgery. A doctor said there should be no long-term damage, blah, blah, blah. She gained online fame through the blog she began as an 11-year-old schoolgirl. Again, remember, everybody that we're talking to here, people from Fremont, people from Davis, people who like to chat, that um, <laughs> this didn't happen in another world, in another place, in another time. This happened in our world right now, where people shot a young girl because she wanted to learn to read. And that, but women have everything equal, and women are fucking bitches. And <laughs> no, they're fucking not. Grow the fuck up. We've heard a lot of talk about the Second Amendment in the last few weeks. Uh, I'm so sick of it, I could barf. Um, 
Gabrielle Giffords spoke in front of Congress. Gabrielle Giffords was shot, as you recall, last year in a car park in Arizona, along with a bunch of other people, many of whom passed away. Uh, that wasn't enough to make the government spring into action. Then later there was the shooting in Aurora, Colorado. That wasn't enough to make the government spring into action. Then there was the shooting at the Sikh Temple. That wasn't enough to make the government spring into action. Finally, at the end of the year, the hideousness at Christmas time of the Newtown Massacre, which finally the government is going to lethargically raise its lizard-like head from the floor and finally enact some fucking laws. And as I said, I'm proud of Obama and Biden for growing a dick at this late date and fucking getting it together. And so they're having hearings in Congress. And as you know, the gun lobby and the people who support guns will not have any of this. I've read the Second Amendment far too many times on the show. I'm not going to read it right now. Wayne LaPierre, uh, who's the head of uh, the NRA, um, was a, a hostile witness, received her assault weapons ban uh, at... Let's see here. Gifford struggled with walking and speaking Wednesday. Uh, the 2011 uh, shooting, it was two years ago, sorry, uh, left her partially blind and paralyzed in her right arm. Violence is a big problem. Too many children are dying. Too many children. We must do something. It will be hard, but the time is now. You must act. Be bold. Be courageous. Americans are counting on you. Um, La Pierre and every Republican on the committee, including Texans, John Cornyn and Ted Cruz, said that existing laws are weakly enforced and that mental health systems is in tatters and that creating more laws would do more harm to American self-defense against criminals and madmen that it would save lives. I don't even know where to begin, you guys. I have never said I was against the possession of guns. It's guaranteed by the Constitution. And I've stated on the show a thousand fucking times, no one is coming to get your guns at any point. Anyone who owns a gun, no one's coming to get your fucking gun. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bans on certain weapons, blah, blah, blah. The cow is already out of the fucking barn. Everyone's already fucking dead, okay? And shot in the fucking head. When are we going to stop being the ch most childish country in the world and bowing and kowtowing? You can't smoke. We're in a saloon. They're taxed. Those are legal. Um, I've had the argument, but a knife can kill a lot of people. A knife can't kill 24 people at once in a couple of seconds and shit. So that's a shitty argument. Um, you have to sign up when you go to the drugstore to buy um, fucking uh, um, Sudafed. So you can stand some rules. <laughs> Two last things. If you go to Mother Jones magazine online, and I'm going to give you the, the address of it, and it's quite long and you're going to laugh at the end of it because the address is really long. It's uh, www.motherjones.com stroke politics stroke 2012 stroke 12 mass hyphen shootings hyphen victims hyphen 2012. <laughs> they uh, put down a page of the 151 victims of the mass shootings of last year. As you know, uh, the young girl who sang at Obama's inauguration was shot down the other day summarily, as well as loads and loads of other people every day in this fucking country. The, exactly. An 18-year-old last night in Oakland. Uh, so it, it's epidemic and it goes on and on. The media coverage tends to linger on the killers, which I, I will never mention any of their names. The killers are not important. Once you've shot a bunch of people, you're no longer a person in my community. As the nation mourns the excruciating losses, da da da, go to that site because all of the mass killings are there and it's all the victims' different stories. Not all of them because there's more that, that wouldn't get on the page, but there's 151 people. This is just a short list of what happened last year Sandy Hook, Clackamas, Brookfield Spa, uh, Minneapolis, Seek, the Sikh Temple, Aurora, the Seattle Cafe, if anyone remembers that one, Oikos University, Chardon High School, and the Georgia Health Spa. That's just last year. 
Um, a little bit about the bailout, and then we'll move on. Matt Taibbi wrote an article a couple of weeks ago in Rolling Stone magazine. Um, we keep hearing all about uh, – like they're having all these – they had all these parties at the Super Bowl. Right now they're having them, but by the time you hear this, they'll have had them. Uh, we had to hear about uh, Obama's inauguration. Uh, as you know, uh, our country is bought and sold and run and bossed around by corporations all the fucking time. Anytime we try to protest or form a little group and shit, the corporations get the FBI to form a little secret police and they chase us down and shit like that. It's fun. So this is what anarchy is. You have to keep fighting at all times. Um, Matt Tybee wrote this uh, about the bailouts. And if you had any question about the bailouts, I would like you to uh, go to this article. While the economy sucks overall, and by the way, there's a headline in uh, the USA Today that I have here that I thought was one of the best uh, headlines I've seen so far this year. This is from a few days ago. Dip in economy, not so bad. <laughs> for those of you with no home who've had a push-button mortgage fucking canceled on you, for those of you who are struggling to fight for your next fucking meal, for those of you working two or more jobs and have lots and lots of kids, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's almost like having Dido come to your house. <laughs> It's not that bad. It's not so bad. No one's gone to jail that works for any of the banks. The banks have made mad profits. British Petroleum paid a, a, a dinky little $4.5 billion fine for what happened that they did in uh, Louisiana and the Gulf. They made $500 billion in profits last year, you guys. It's obscene and it's icky and it's ucky. And it needs to kind of stop. And I think we can. This is the second term. Write Obama every second of the day. Squeeze his fucking balls. Because he's not running for re-election and Joe Biden's not running for re-election. Put their fucking feet to the fire and make them enact some shit around here. Let's stop protecting corporations. Stop protecting gun owners. They're not under attack. Christians aren't under attack. Let's stop protecting all these fucking people who act like they're under attack all the time and protect the people who are under attack. Second Amendment, how about first graders? Don't they have a right to fucking go to school and not get shot in the fucking head? You shit, you fucking maniac. And I'm for civil rights. They're honestly... All right. While the economy still mostly sucks, there's never been a better time to be a too-big-to-fill bank. Wells Fargo reported a third-quarter profit of nearly $5 billion last year. J.P. Morgan Chase pocketed 5.3, double what both banks earned in the third quarter of 2006 at the height of the mortgage bubble. So, if you think we're to blame for the mortgage bubble because we were so greedy and just everybody went out online, fuck you, and fuck that, and fuck them. They're making more than they did in 2006, and all of us are making way less than we did in 2006. And scrapping for a fucking dime all up in this place. Uh, yeah. So that's all I wanted to say about that. And, and like that. Let's do a couple questions and then we'll push off. The microphone's over here if anyone wants to ask. No, oh, you're very kind. I'm not at all. I'm not that smart. I just want to share information with you guys uh, because you don't hear it on the news. As much as I love Brian Williams and think he's groovy and his daughter's on fucking girls and shit, he's never going to tell you that the corporations make untold profits and that none of them fucking go to jail and that the government's not going to do a goddamn thing about that. That's, that's one thing you're never going to hear on the fucking news. Uh, but I'm going to tell you because I fucking figured it out. Okay. Yes, sir. Tell me your name, sir. I'm Blick. Glick? Yes, Blake. Blick, okay. Um, I just finished reading Tony Blair's biography. Um... And he was extremely apologetic. Uh, was he? Yes. Um, sort of making up for being, because uh, he started with center-left politics. And yes. He became um, sort of right, like a lapdog to George W. Bush. And I'd like to How well I remember. 
I'd like to know your thoughts on Tony Blair um, and that change there. And also, can I have a hug? All right. <laughs> You can have a hug and albino alligator. Tony Blair is a complex question that takes forever and ever and ever. Uh, I was in England at the beginning of the Iraq War, sitting in a hotel room in London, and uh, I saw Tony Blair come on TV and say, we must pay the blood price. That meant that he knew people were going to die from his own country defending the interests of the oil companies, all of whom, as I just mentioned to you, have made extraordinary profits and are living uh, the fucking highest life they could possibly live after um, spending all of the money America ever had and England ever had. Uh, The gulf between rich and poor in England and America is a shocking state of affairs right now. Um, When we see things like um, one of the items in the paper today was Detroit's closing 38, uh, a bunch of parks and, and services in other parks. Why? Why is Detroit doing that? Isn't Detroit uh, the center of the uh, auto industry? Don't all the oil companies owe Detroit, uh, Detroit a, a debt of gratitude? Don't the parks in Detroit uh, deserve to be kept open by many? And I'm not... And I know you think I'm crazy because people are like, but that's not how the system works. Whatever I make, I get to keep. And then I get to take my cock out and slap you in the head with it when I put an electrified fence up around my profits. <laughs> Does no one have a responsibility to anybody ever? Is that what the world is now? Fuck you. The oil companies should fucking pay for every park to be open in Detroit and revitalize fucking Detroit. If they're going to make cars there and we're going to bail them out constantly and shit... Which I'm happy to do if it's going to give American people jobs who are skilled blue-collar workers who – the reason why uh, uh, giant corporations outsourced isn't to make it easier for you. It was to increase their profit margin. There was no reason to outsource every job in the United States and leave us bereft of fucking being able to make things anymore. The only reason was so they could make more money. And don't believe there's another reason. But, Greg, I heard you heard shit. You heard what they wanted you to hear. Profit and growth. So Tony Blair, uh, working for the corporations as he did, uh, said those things. I'm glad he's apologetic now. He was a great disappointment to me. Uh, but then again, I wasn't a voter. But I did pay taxes in England for a good deal of, of his administration. Uh, he was there longer, I think, than any other PM. And then handed it off to the chancellor of the Exchequer. Um, Let me put it this way with Tony Blair. He's a bright person, a very bright person, like Bill Clinton. And I think he knows what history is. And 100 years from now, 200 years from now, different things will be weighed than we are considering in the shallowness of this afternoon gig on a Saturday slash Sunday afternoon. (laughs) He's aware of that, and he will have to answer to the great maker when he goes up there. And when she says to him, you sent all these people into danger and you killed all these people in the Middle East because you wanted to have a bitch in house and take vacations in Sharma al-Sheikh. That is the moment when he's going to have to look into the deep, dark, fucking truthful mirror, into the abyss where what you're supposed to have inside of you is character. Uh, that's all I can hope for. Will he ever make it good? Not in this lifetime, I don't think. But that's not a, a, a you know, people think there's God. There is God. Uh, God is love, like Marvin Gaye and Prince said. But uh, God's not adjudicating moment by moment on assholes. That's too much to expect from God. He's busy, and so is she. Uh, thank you for your question, and I hope you enjoy your alligator. A couple more, and then we're blowing. Yes, sir. Hi, I'm Miles. Hi, Miles. Um, I am like- I'm kilometers. <laughs> 
That one really sucked, Greg. That didn't even have humor. It wasn't a pun, and it had nothing to do with anything. Come on, kittens. Have, a, have some fun. I'm actually named after Miles Davidson. Were you named for Miles Davidson? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I am a young... My original name was going to be Thelonious, but... <laughs> my parents weren't that cool. I recently turned 18 and I'm happy that I get to go to college. What the fuck are you doing in here? Isn't this 21 over? <laughs> Security. No, I got Underage jazz buff. <laughs> Underage jazz buff. Stay away from me. Underage jazz buff. Mama, let me be. Yes, Miles. But um, I'm wondering, uh, since I have a, I want to watch Casablanca and Citizen Kane at some point, should I go see it yes. in my home theater or wait until it's in like a theater? I love that you have a home theater, Miles. <laughs> when I go to my home theater in the east wing of the Proops Fort- Fortress of Proopitude, I walk by the power sheaths I have hanging there. I walk past all the red-haired girls I have chained up in my basement. <laughs> Past the library in the bowling alley. Past the lighthouse at Prupadandria. If you have a home theater, I say rock it. But it, it's even better in front of people. The thing about Casablanca, and what was the other one you said, Sunset Boulevard? Uh, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. My wife, will, my wife is not a huge Citizen Kane fan. Jennifer, uh, um, it, she says it's overrated. And I have to agree with her in some ways. It, it, it's not as exciting as Casablanca. Casablanca is a much pacier Hollywood movie full of romance, intrigue, and adventure. And laughter. Uh, and people say things in Casablanca like, you despise me, don't you? I suppose if I gave it any thought, I would. Uh, I would go to a movie theater and see it because it's funner with people and people, people will cheer and shit uh, and that's the best part. When they shoot the Nazi, spoiler alert, when they shoot the Nazi... When they shoot the Nazi at the end of Citizen Kane... This has been the smartest man in the world, Proofcast. Thank you very much for coming out. My name's been Greg Proofs. You are beloved to me. May every page that you turn be a satchel page. And when you go somewhere with those on, I hope they're cool, Papa Bells. My name's Greg Proofs. I love you so much. Bye.